Parshas Noach, Lessons of the Flood. I'd like to begin with a pasuk that we say every morning in the davening. Remember the wonders that he made. Tehillim. Everybody who prays, if they come to shul on time, says that. After all, it's in the Siddur, so you can't skip it. But even if you say it, the question is, do you know what you're saying? We are in the habit of rattling off Pesukim, and we don't think about what they're telling us. Too many Jewish congregations today are made up of from robots. Early in the morning, 50 flesh and blood robots walk into the synagogue, and at 6.30 on cue, they all begin shaking and rattling off words. A half hour later, in the better places, it's 45 minutes, and they're finished. They fulfilled their shachar's obligations for the day. What they said, nobody knows. What das they acquired from the davening today, nobody knows. But since we're not saying it merely for the words, just to be yotze, it makes sense that we should take time to study the words that we say. It's important because we're being told now about a new mitzvah, a command that most of us are unaware of. Zichru nifleotav, remember his wonders, asher asa, that he did. Now, right away, as soon as you think about this Pasuk, just a little bit, you ask yourself a question. Why does it say, remember the wonders, Asher Asa, that he did? If it is wonders, certainly he did it. Why are the words that he did added? It seems superfluous. And the answer is that it's telling us why he made the wonders. He did it for the purpose that we should remember them. Zichron Ifleotav, remember his wonders, Asher Asa that he made for that purpose, so that we should remember it. That's why he made them. The remembering is a perfection on its own. The more a person fulfills zikhrun l'floisav, the more his mind is transformed and the more perfect he becomes. Now included in this command to remember his wonders are many things. The truth is, if we would be serious about fulfilling this pasuk, we'd be busy the rest of our lives with just this one Mitzvah. There are enough nefloys to keep us thinking non-stop. That's why it's a good idea to get into the habit of fulfilling this pasuk. To spend some time thinking about his wonders and the lessons that each one is trying to teach us. If you're going to try it out, why not start with the first and the greatest of all of his miracles? The creation of this world, me'ayin, from nothing. Breishis bara elokim. In the beginning, Hashem created means that there was nothing. No space, no air, no molecules. Ayin means there was absolutely nothing. And it was only the command of Hashem, the will of Hashem that brought everything into existence. It means that all of creation is hanging on His word and nothing else. His word alone is what causes the world to exist. Now, that's such a stupendous idea that it's capable of changing your entire way of looking at this world. It means that whatever you see in this world is the will of Hashem and nothing else. You don't see matter. You see something that is merely a form, a form of the words of Hashem. When he said, Yehi, let there be, Mr. Shamula and Mr. Shelby, and you and you and I, all of us, that are here facing each other, what do we see? We don't see people. We see only the Devar Hashem.
Not only us sitting here, all matter, all the phenomena of nature are nothing but demonstrations of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And so as you're walking in the street, you're remembering this command, Zichrun Lifloitav, and you begin to think that every stone, every tree, every sidewalk is nothing but a sign, a demonstration of a creator. It's only his will that you are seeing. There's no matter. Matter is imagination. The only concrete and true thing that exists is HaKadosh Baruch Hu alone. Everything else is nothing but vapories, so to speak, from his mind. But that's only the first of his wonders. There's so much more. And Zichnu Lefloisa means that you should remember all of them. Did you ever take a few minutes, a few minutes on the clock, to think about the man? Suppose you're walking in the street towards the subway or the base Knesses. Wherever you're walking, so you say, from here to the end of the block, I'm going to think about the man that came down in the midbar. You hear such a crazy thing? A man is walking in Brooklyn from East 7th Street to East 8th Street, and the whole block, every step, he's thinking of the man. Nobody else is thinking about the man. Oh, one Jew in Brooklyn, that's you, is fulfilling this great commandment. Now the man is too long a subject to finish it up. From now to the end of the block, there's too much to think about, so many lessons. The man teaches that lo alechem levado adam. You don't live on bread. You live on moitza pi Hashem. If Hashem says man can feed you, man will feed you. Bread doesn't give you sustenance. Why should bread keep you alive? It's an ace, that's all. Hashem commanded that the bread should turn into all the materials the body needs in order to sustain itself. Thousands of different materials. Food is an ace. And therefore, when a person trains himself to remember the man, he's thinking not only about the miracle in the midbar, but the miracles that are taking place in his body right now. Now. You want to think the same thing again tomorrow? Nothing wrong with that. But you can change it up too. Tomorrow as you're walking, you say to yourself, until the end of the block, I'm going to think about when Moshe Rabbeinu took the branch and threw it into the bitter water and the water became sweet. When you think about the nace, how the bitter water became sweet. So little by little you're reminded that the water is no different. Where does our water come from? It comes from the ocean, and the ocean water is too bitter to drink. Our water should taste bitter. Ocean water is not drinkable after all. But no. V'yim tiku ha'mayim. HaKadosh Baruch Hu makes it sweet. He causes the sun to evaporate the water, and it takes the water vapor out of the ocean. And sweet water rises in the sky in the form of clouds. And that's how the rain comes down to us. It's the same nace. And if you do it more than once, if you try thinking these thoughts ten times, a hundred times, maybe you'll get into the habit that whenever you drink a glass of water, you'll be able to say aloud after you drink the water, Ah! How sweet! is New York tap water. Now, once you get the hang of fulfilling the Pasuk, you can accomplish every minute of your life. We don't have to waste any time. 
Even when you're hanging on the strap in the subway, close your eyes and think about Yitzias Mitzrayim. Keep your hand tightly on your wallet. Don't forget about that. Because the man standing next to you is not thinking about Yitzias Mitzrayim. He's thinking about your wallet. So you have one hand hanging onto the strap and one hand on your wallet. And you're thinking, Laman tiskored yom Mitzrayim kol you never thought about that in the middle of the day? Hashem said about us, you are my firstborn son, and he demonstrated it by means of miracles. You know what thoughts like that do to your mind? You're transformed into a new person. A new mind means you're a new person. And so practicing every day, zichron Nifloisav, what are you doing? First of all, you're fulfilling that commandment that nobody else does. And you're becoming distinguished in Hashem's eyes. You're exceptional. And in addition to that, you're gaining an understanding of the lessons. The more you think about them, the more you're perfecting your mind, creating a Toyota Dika mind. Now, everything you hear so far is just an introduction to tonight's subject. Because one of the greatest of the Niflois of Asherasa, the wonders that he made in order for us to remember, is told to us in this week's Parsha. And that's the Mabul. The great flood that wiped out mankind. There's no question that among all of the wonders, the flood was one of the most grand and most terrible episodes in history. But if nobody's thinking about it, then all of that was lost on mankind. Such an event should go lost? A once-in-history event, never repeated again, should go to waste? The surface of the entire earth was covered by water. A remarkable thing. The oceans became shallow by means of a great upheaval in the earth's surface, topography, and the waters poured over the continents. One time in history this happened. The waters were raging. Suddenly, raging waters burst out from the bowels of the earth. Lava too. There was thousands of volcanoes spewing forth rivers of hot lava. They find today extinct volcanoes in the thousands. It was a phenomenon. We don't see today the thousands of volcanoes should be spouting out their contents all at once. By the way, I want to tell you, the flood involved not only this earth. Velikovsky, in his book, Worlds in Collision, gives a good idea. And we don't have to reject it. He theorizes that some of the planets came close to the earth. It was on purpose. Hashem planned it so. And they pulled the earth out of its regular system of orbiting around the sun and the disturbance caused by the upheavals. Now, you don't have to accept what Volovsky says, but it's quite probable there was some great disturbance that HaKadosh Baruch Hu utilized to upset the function of this world because ordinarily, such things cannot happen. Whatever it was, the world groaned in its upheaval on a scale never before or after seen. Valleys became mountains and mountains became valleys. The oceans became shallow because the land was covered with water. It was a tremendous upheaval. Layers of strata were laid down at that time. One after the other in quick succession. Men and animals were buried in their great numbers. Great shoals of fish were suddenly trapped and fossilized. How is it that we find today hundreds of thousands of fish in a fossil bed? Fish don't fossilize when they die because normally 
they are consumed by scavengers and they decay. But at that time, they were captured suddenly. There rained down a hail of minerals. It fell upon them and they dissolved quickly and they were buried and stratified in a matter of minutes. That's why you have the entrapment of thousands of mammoths in Siberia. A mammoth is a big, huge elephant, bigger than elephants of today. It needs a lot of grass to keep it going every day. And when they excavated the mammoths from the permafrost, they found buttercups in their stomach, daisies, dandelions, and fresh grasses, and their meat was fresh. The pack dogs that joined the mammoth expedition fell upon the meat and devoured it. Even the eyeballs in some cases were intact. It's because there was a sudden change of climate at that time, and a great frost descended. Those days, before the Mabul, all over the world, there was one climate. There was a gentle, mild climate everywhere, and grasses grew in abundance in the northmost parts of the world. And that's why these animals are entrapped in the ice in the thousands, because they didn't die gradually. A sudden frost descended upon them, and they were therefore quick frozen and remained for thousands of years as evidence of what happened at that time. Now, it's been a long time since, and today the Mabul has been all but forgotten by the people of the world. Even the Jewish people have primarily regulated it to reading about it once a year in Kriya And it's a pity, because that's not enough. Kriya was made to reinforce these memories, to inspire them and to sharpen them, but just to listen. And even then, when the Baal Kaide is reading the Pesukim, we are thinking about who will get the best aliyah, or maybe, what's the Kiddush today? And meanwhile, the lesson is being entirely lost. But you have to know that in the earlier times and the generations that followed the flood, it was spoken about all the time by mankind. Such an upheaval, such a catastrophe, made a tremendous impression on all the nations. Fathers and mothers spoke about it to their children. Grandfathers surely spoke about it to their grandchildren. It was a household subject that was constantly reiterated. All over the world we find memories of the flood inscribed in the ancient writings, on temple walls and monuments, on all sides of the Atlantic, even in the far north among the Norsemen, and way down in the south, too, among the people who lived on the islands. There are inscriptions with various flood stories. There's a book that has a collection of these inscriptions from all over the world. If you're interested... I'll someday quote them to you from all over the world. And that's only because it made a strong and lasting impression on mankind. And that was the purpose. Remember his wonders that he made means that the purpose of the Mabul was so that it should be remembered. The purpose was to create impressions on our mind, to create attitudes. And it did. People spent time thinking about the Mabul story and it changed them forever. For many generations, people became better as a result. Isn't that an original idea? When it says, Remember his wonders, it means to also think about the mubble. So someday, when you're sitting on the bus and you have nothing to do, let's say you forgot to take along, you're safer. So think for a moment or two about the mubble. You'll need many, many bus rides for that. There are endless lessons to learn. When Hashem brings a catastrophe like that, you can be sure He has many intentions. But on its most simple level, 
I'd like to discuss tonight two of the many lessons that we are expected to learn. When Noah's family was huddled in their ark for one full year, they were busy thinking. They were busy with all other things too. They were very busy taking care of their cargo. But at the same time, they were thinking, what's going on out there? What's happening to our cousins? What's happening to our uncles and aunts? What's going to be with our nieces and nephews? That's Noah's nieces and nephews. What happened to our friends and our neighbors? And they knew, unfortunately, what did happen to them. And they were talking about it. They knew about the Avedas that people were involved in. And they were witnessing the results now. That water that came pouring down, flooding everywhere, and there was no recourse. There was no place to go. Even the highest mountains eventually were covered. It was a terrible sight. If you could look through the window of the Teva, you would find people holding on to pieces of wood for their dear life. But the waters were too strong, and they were boiling hot too. Mankind was being wiped off the face of the earth because of their sins. Such a catastrophe. And they studied that in the Teva for a full year as death raged around them. Noah and his family studied the terrible events of how mankind was destroyed. They sat and pondered the lesson that there is such a thing as responsibility for sin, punishment for Averis. Nowadays, the world has forgotten that. Today, the ideal of punishment has gone lost. When a man commits a crime, it's only a question of the utilitarian achievement of punishment. In the universities, they'll make committees and discuss it. Is it a deterrent or is it a rehabilitation? Maybe it's a restitution. Whatever it is, it's a debate. And in the debate, punishment goes lost and mankind loses sight of the great principles that there is such a thing as intrinsic responsibility for sin. It's a duty of the conscious. The conscious must feel that the sinner deserves a punishment. Of course, we want the criminal locked up because we want to be safe. But that's not the primary purpose of the punishment. When mankind steps in and inflicts punishment, we do it more than anything else because wickedness is wrong. We are actually only vicars, emissaries of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, whose abhorrence at a sin, at a crime, is tremendous. Sin is a wicked thing. Wrong behavior is wicked. That's what punishment comes to tell you. Today, that attitude that the Mabul came to teach us has gone lost. And we are worse off for it. There's no such thing as wickedness anymore. No punishment. What bubble? Who cares? Who thinks about that? Wickedness has lost its edge in modern society. And that caused a breakdown in society and all sides. Mankind is suffering because of that. But I'm not talking about only the Gentiles. Even the Frum Jews have forgotten this lesson of the Mabul that Hashem doesn't put up with wickedness. How could it be that just recently, over 50 years ago, Hashem brought a Mabul on our people in Europe and we react to it like a horse would react? Punishment? Oh no, that can't be. Even the Orthodox, I'm afraid to say, don't want to open their mouths and say anything. Nobody wants to say the plain truth that the Holocaust was a mabul brought by Hashem because of our sins. The Jews in Europe had learned to hate Judaism. Not all of them, but there were so many of them that it became a wave of revolt against the Torah. I saw a photograph in the Chubashov Pinkas. It's a book describing the town of Chubashov 
in Europe. It's a picture of a parade through the streets of a town in the 1930s. And the people, the paraders, are carrying a big banner all the way across the street from one side to the other. And on the banner, inscribed in Yiddish, it says, Nidir mit, It means, down with the clericalism. Clericalism means the rabbis. A big sign openly displayed in the streets on a Jewish town. Down with the rabbinate. Down with the frumer. It means, down with the Torah. Down with Hashem. And it was like that everywhere. The Jews in Europe declared war on Hashem. That's what Rabbi Elchanan Wasserman in Zichron Levracha said. And now he has declared war on them. That's why he's sending his armies against them. Rabbi Elchanan said that about Hitler. Now, Rabbi Elchanan knew about the yeshivas. He knew about the Talmud more than you. But he knew that the yeshiva people with their rabbis were only a drop in the ocean of European Jewry. And they didn't have anybody who listened to them. Now, it doesn't mean all the Jews were Mechal Shabbos. No. But even the Jews who kept Shabbos and Kashrus and everything else, they were no longer on the side of the Roshi Yeshiva. And their children were leading the way. I remember we sat on Shabbos singing Zemidus in the small town where I used to stay. But we were drowning out. Because outside the town there was a big Hachshara of Jewish boys and girls who were preparing to go to Eretz Yisrael. And they made fires on Shabbos. And they ate tarfus. They threw away all their Judaism. That was the new generation. And they were going to settle in Eretz Yisrael. Aretz, Aliyah. That's what mattered. Shabbos, not important. Tefillin, not important. Mikvah, not important. And here in the town, the old people were left without a generation to follow them. So even though they sang Zemidas, their hearts were with their children. That's how parents are. When their children forsake the Torah, the parents lose hope and they are no longer enthusiastic for the Torah. The Am Yisrael stopped keeping Shabbos in Europe. They stopped putting on tefillin. They stopped keeping everything. There was a large-scale rebellion against HaKadosh Baruch Hu in Europe. They were getting worse and worse until Hashem finally said, It's enough. I'll bring it to an end. But this... They don't want to talk about in the synagogues. It's not popular. And therefore, the people don't get the lesson. And all those who perished in the Holocaust perished in vain because nothing is being learned from it. Nobody is getting better. Even many Holocaust victims didn't learn anything. Many of those who escaped the concentration camps didn't learn anything. Now, Nobody is going to be bold enough to say that they understand all the reasons. Certainly not me, Chas Fisholem. I should say such a thing. But I certainly understand that this is one of the elements in what happened. No question that the Holocaust included reaction to those that rebelled against Hashem violently and virulently. And it would have led to the worst kind of result that had been allowed to continue to exist. Yes, that's one of the reasons, absolutely. Only that the lessons of the Torah, the attitudes of the Torah, are so far from our minds that nobody wants to tell people the secret that HaKadosh Baruch Hu punishes for sins, such a secret that it's everywhere in the Tanakh, not only in the Mabul. Wherever you look in the Tanakh, it's reiterated so many times that it's perhaps one of the most salient features of the Tanakh. If Jews will forsake the Torah, ve'im timanu umiritem. If you'll refuse, you'll rebel. Cherev te'uklu. 
you will be consumed by the sword. But in Noah's time, the family did learn. They learned that when Malah Haaretz Hamas, there will be retribution. They looked back and they saw that there was an injustice in the world. There was violence in the world. There was immorality. And they understood the wherefore of the flood. They didn't say it was an accident. That nature at times run, runs wild, goes on a rampage. And that's why the world was flooded and mankind was the victim of natural causes. That kind of talk wasn't used in ancient times because everybody felt the presence of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and they understood everything is done for a reason. That was one of the great achievements of the flood. It came to show the remaining family from whom the world would be built up again. And that sin is not just bad, it's catastrophic. The family that walked out of the Teva after a year, they knew in their blood, in their bones, that sin is a terrible misfortune. You can't sin and say, oops, I'm sorry I sinned. Oh no, if a man would smash his head, he wouldn't say, oops. If he broke his spine, he wouldn't say, oops. Oh no, sin is catastrophic. That was one of Hashem's intentions in bringing the mubble and accomplished that purpose. There's no question that the atmosphere was cleared by the mubble. And the more we think about it, the more we fulfill and remember the destruction that sin brought on the world. The more we learn that lesson and the more the purpose is fulfilled. Now, I'm somewhat wary of talking about tonight, the second lesson of the mubble that I was thinking about. Because I'm afraid that this first lesson of the catastrophe of singing, sinning against Hashem and of the mubble is brings would be obscured and overshadowed. But because this is a place where we like to talk about happy things, I don't want anybody to leave this place tonight depressed. I'm going to talk now about the second lesson, a happier one, and I hope you won't let it overshadow the first one. The second very important lesson that Noah and his family learned is as follows. How lucky it is for us that we are inside the ark. How good it is to be alive outside the teva. Lives are being lost. All the people who yesterday were going along their merry way, walking on dry land, living life, and now their lives are being snuffed out. That could have been us. But we are still alive. That's what they were thinking about for 12 months. How sweet life is. For the first time, these people discovered that you don't need any ice cream to be happy. You don't need any theaters. You don't need any traveling. You don't need any good times. Because the best good time is when you realize that you are alive. The biggest fun, the greatest fun and enjoyment is to be alive. It's a great pity that mankind forgets about that. And everyone is busy trying to look for icing on top of his cake and he doesn't realize that this is it. Life itself is the icing and the cake together. You know when you realize that most? When there is a close call, a little mubble in your own life, and you just made it by the skin of your teeth. Here's a man, he makes an appointment with the specialist. His doctor sent him there and he goes with his heart in his mouth. And as he sits in the waiting room, the specialist walks through cheerily. He sees a full waiting room and each patient means to him a lot of money. So he's in a good mood. And he says to you, why so glum, my friend? How are things? So you say to him, it depends on the outcome. He waves cheerily and walks in his office. 
whatever the outcome is, he's going to get from you. Whatever it is, the bill is going to be paid in either case. So the test begins, and you don't get any answers right away. You can't sleep at night. You can't eat. You're on edge. Finally, after 10 days, he calls you up and he says, I'm sorry to tell you that there's nothing wrong with you. Ooh, you don't need any vacation now. A few weeks ago, you were thinking of going on vacation, maybe to Florida or California. No, you don't need a vacation anymore. You're living it right now. You walk out into the street and the world is now yours. You're walking on the clouds. Your heart sings within you. You realize how now beautiful the sky is, how beautiful the street is, how beautiful the pavement is. Everything is now bathed in a splendor, and that splendor is life, the happiness of being alive. What fun it is to be alive! Now he begins to understand what he possesses, at least for ten minutes. For ten minutes he's happy. A close call is therefore a very great benefit. It opens up the eyes of the blind, and you begin to see what you didn't see before, and what is most imperative for you to see. Because to live one's life without appreciating the happiness of life is a great waste of an opportunity. And so the false alarm is a glorious opportunity to remind him to enjoy it while he is still able to continue enjoying it. That's what Noah and his family felt when they came out of the Teva. We are alive. Mazatov. It's a pity that mankind is missing that. You know people, many people, at the end of their days, so they may think like this. Why didn't I study more Torah? There was one Sadiq who was weeping on his deathbed about the minutes he wasted from learning. Another Sadiq was weeping like this. Why wasn't I more kindly to my relatives? Why didn't I call them up long distance once in a while? I forgot about my relatives. I was so busy with my own thing. All kinds of regrets people have at the end. But you have to know, there's a fundamental regret all mankind will have. And that is, why didn't I enjoy life? When a man is approaching his last moments, he looks back and thinks, why was I so stupid? My mind was obsessed with so many superficialities, worries, and silly ideas. He suddenly realized that there's a lot of fun around, but he didn't even begin to enjoy it. All the happiness of normal living suddenly flashes upon his mind like on a screen, and he sees all the good times he had. Why didn't I enjoy those days of happiness? There were many days that you ate three meals a day, and you could have enjoyed all that. There were many days that your bowel moved. It's a miracle that bowels move. And many days you urinated painlessly. Many nights you slept in a delicious slumber. There were so many days where you were still in your health of youth, and you were able to breathe deeply without racking your sick lungs. So many days with no pain. There were so many days you could walk around walking. A pleasure it is. It's a happiness to walk. Locomotion is one of the great forms of happiness. You drank water sometimes. To drink water, that's ah. It's one of the great pleasures of life. To see, looking is fun. Merely to sit and look through your two perfect cameras. Color cameras. They focus for distant vision. And immediately, they can change to close vision. And you're constantly taking pictures. It's fun to see things. Life is full of so much fun. Only that we don't realize it until we are on the verge of losing it. Until the mabul comes. The malachamaves. 
That's going to take a person out of this world. But when a person waits until then, it's a little too late to enjoy those pleasures. But those are just details. Seeing, walking, breathing, urinating, they're very big details, but it's not everything. Of all the pleasures that we find in life, there is one all-embracing pleasure, and that's the most intense pleasure of all. The greatest fun that you could find in this world is the fun of being alive. There's nothing like it. That's why when a man is given the opportunity to choose great pleasures, intense pleasures, but at the cost of his life soon thereafter, nobody would be so silly as to sacrifice his life. Because when it comes to the final analysis, everybody understands that the true happiness is being alive. Now that's deeply rooted in the human psyche. It's so deeply rooted that in the most urgent of all longings, it is pathetic to read in the literature of man this yearning to continue to live. Legends of antiquity about men who sought fountains that would give them eternal life. Legends about men who begged the gods of mythology to grant them that they should live forever. Again and again we see that men, most of all, desires to continue to exist on this earth. And there's a reason for that. It has been so planned by Akalaj Baruch that life should be sweet. Sweet beyond any sweetness that we could think of. There is no such thing as an unpleasant day. To open up your eyes and to be alive is the greatest of all forms of happiness. There's no fun like being alive. The mere fact that I could walk down the avenue and see the light of day, any kind of a day, cloudy, sunny, it's a joy. But because we ignore it and we're too lazy to think about it, HaKadosh Baruch Hu made sure to remind us once with a very big reminder, of course, there were many reasons for the Mabul, but absolutely included in this lesson is that the flood came to teach mankind the importance of Rokah Aretz Al Hamaim, the happiness of being able to walk down the street, living life, breathing. Everybody says the blessing in the morning. We thank you, Hashem. We're walking on solid land. Isn't that a queer blessing? Every morning we're reminded ourselves of the pleasure of walking on solid land. It's because we need reminding. It's a tremendous pleasure and it's a pity that so much happiness, so much vigor and joy goes lost from our living because we don't learn this lesson that Noah and his family learned. When Noah entered the Teva, that became his home for the duration of the Mubble. For a full year, he and his family were sealed up in a ship on the high waters waiting for that great flood to come to an end, waiting for the great pleasure of normal life just to be able to be alive on the earth, to walk on dry land. And they waited for that. Over and over, again, the Torah reiterates, V'yachel od, and Noah waited some more. V'yachel od. And he waited with anticipation. Even more, because as the days and weeks wore on, Noah began to long more and more eagerly for the great joy of walking on the dry land. And finally it happened. They walked out with the biggest simcha. That was the biggest lesson, the exhilaration that they felt then. We are going to be walking on dry land again. We survived. Mazutov. We are alive. I once told you this story. In Lomza Yeshiva, the Mashkiach once saw a boy was down. So he took him aside and seized two lapels, seized his two lapels, and he said, Mazal Tov, you're a lucky fellow. Everybody should envy you. 
And he went on and on for a half hour. The boy was looking at him, waiting to hear what the good news is. Mazel tov, mazel tov, the mashkiach said, in five or six times. What's all this about? And finally, the mashkiach said, Congratulations, my son. You are alive. That's the mazel tov. And so the mazel was a great reminder that we should always be saying that mazel tov to ourselves. You are lucky to be alive. There'll come a time when you won't be. So you might as well enjoy every second of it now. Even if kipashuto, be happy with it right now. Don't let the minute go by. Every moment that you're breathing and your heart is beating, that you have awareness, that your brain is functioning, you are existing. It's fun to be alive, just to walk on the earth. And so we come back to the mitzvah of Zichnur Floy Savashir Osa. Remember the wonders that he did. And he did it because he wants you to think about them. And among all of the great wonders included in the mitzvah, we should never forget about the tremendous catastrophe of the mubble. And as you walk along the sidewalk, you're thinking, ah, the pleasure of being alive and being able to walk on dry land. Ah, what could be better? Of course, it never leaves your head the great lessons of the catastrophe of sin. And the mubble came down to show you, you're more careful now. You won't open, open up your big mouth to your brother. You won't look where you shouldn't look. You're more afraid of sin now. But all the same time, you don't forget the second lesson. And so you're thinking, I'm alive. I'm breathing. My heart is beating. And I'm still walking on this earth. There's no fun in this world to compare to it. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Let's get practical. This week I will try to accomplish the mitzvah of remembering his wonders and thinking of the mubble. Every morning when I say the bracha of rokah ha'aretz alamayim, I will believe to take a minute to remember the lessons of the mubble. First, that sin has consequences. Sin is catastrophic. And secondly, the great happiness of life, regular life and walking on dry land is the greatest pleasure that we can wish for.